But uh, before I jump in straight into what our, um, uh, the teaching and encouragement, normally what I like doing is I like setting a platform. Uh, I like having the same foundation, uh, laying a foundation so that we are all on the same page. I do not want to leave any person uh, as I speak. I want us to be all on the same page as I speak. And so when we look at the gifts of the spirits, normally the way we look at the gifts of the spirits of the diagram that will come up is um, we look at the gifts of the spirit in, in, in this particular way. They are just a random setting of gifts that are placed in, in, a, in the body of Christ and they seem to have no connection to each other. That is how sometimes we can look at the, the gifts of the Spirit. So when I looked at this and uh, wrapped my head and my spirit around it, I, I, um, I suddenly realized that there is a connection. They do communicate with each other and they do intersect uh, with each other and they do complement each other. Amen. And so, um, I do not know if you are familiar with the statement. The statement that says, uh, the forest cannot see, the, tre um, uh, you, the, the, the tree cannot see the, the forest. Amen. You cannot see the forest for the trees. That's the statement. And so, what that means is that the tree cannot see the forest. Why can the tree not see the forest? Because it is inundated and it's, it's, uh, it's focused on its particular viewpoint at that moment. It cannot see the whole. It's, 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 it's involved in the details of where it is rather than seeing everything else. It, it sees the parts but does not see how the parts connect with each other. It does not see that the parts are a whole. They make a whole. There is a purpose for why each of those parts are there so that they work together. So I ask myself a simple question. Why do these gifts come one after the other? You see... Over time, I've come to the realization that the Holy Spirit does not do things just for the sake of doing things. Okay. He does not do things in J. Turn to your neighbor and say, the Holy Spirit does not do things in J. We serve an almighty God. We serve an all-wise God. We serve an all-knowing God. We serve a Holy Spirit who is... Who, 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 who is, um, um, I'm looking for the word, who, 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 who is intentional in what he does? Everything that he does is intentional. All you have to do is look at nature and you will see the intentionality of the Holy Spirit. You will see his signature is all, everything is by design. You will see that his fingerprint, everything is by design. Though man fell and has brought deterioration, but still you can see that the Holy Spirit is very intentional in what he does. You simply have to ask yourself a simple question. Why do things like lemons and oranges grow in winter? you will find and you will get a simple answer. And it's an intentional answer. Maybe the thing that my body needs in winter is found in those lemons and in those oranges. Now, let's get back to you. At the moment, whatever season you find yourself, sometimes we don't need to pray for a different season. All you need to pray for is what in that season, God, have you planted for me 
so that I have a breakthrough, so that I get a job, so that I get my healing, so that I get whatever I need. Everything that you need is in that season that you are currently in. So I'm helping somebody. Stop, stop praying for different seasons. Start praying that God opens up your eyes. That was a freebie. And so, though we have not gone through these gifts in the order that uh, they, they appear in the, in the Bible, not that we should be that rigid and legalistic that uh, we should, we should uh, teach them in that order. I just wanted to show you the wisdom in why they appear in the, way, in the, in the, in the order that they appear. And the diagram that will come up will helpfully, hopefully show us. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if the people at the back will be able to see, but, you know, it's so amazing that in the moment of uh, reflection, in the moment of meditation, uh, that the Holy Spirit unravels certain things that you never thought of or never even imagined. And so, as you look at that diagram, you will see that the first thing that you will see is that it looks like a lily. It reminds me of the of the scripture that in Songs of Solomon 2 verse 1, it says that uh, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. Like a lily amongst the thorns is my bride amongst the maidens. And so God is talking about the church that whenever he looks at the church, he sees a, a, a beautiful and fragrant plant and he sees us, he sees us as a, a plant that is outstanding amongst the thorns. We stand out amongst the world. Amen. And so the reason why we stand out is because of what Christ has done in us and what the Holy Spirit is doing through us. That's the reason why we stand out. And so you will see that that looks like a, a lily. And you will, you, if you have rightfully assumed the circle is the Holy Spirit. And within that circle are all the varieties of all the gifts as written in Romans 12. I know there are gifts in Corinthians, but here we're focusing on Romans 12. And you will find that all those gifts, they intersect at some point. The more the gift is on the outskirts, the more it is more of an individualistic gift. But the more it comes to the center, the more it becomes more pronounced. Jesus at the center of it all. And so that is in any plant, that's where you find the reproduction system of any plant. So where you want to see the church reproducing is right at the center where all these gifts start intersecting and connecting with each other. We would take, for example, the gift of prophecy. In the gift of prophecy, they, the ones who prophesy normally have a great propensity of growing a big head. Not a physical big head, not a literal big head, but a figurative big head. They may think of themselves better than other people. Why? Because of knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul puts it this way. 2 Corinthians 12 says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason to keep me from exalting myself. Paul was getting so many, so much revelation that 
He says himself that I could have started exalting myself because of all that revelation. But because God in his wisdom placed something so that he could come down, or I would say in this case, you can come down if you are living in the, in the heavenlies. He brought something called serving, which is the, can I go back to that diagram, which is the gift which is close to prophecy. Serving brings you down back to earth. Have you ever realized that those who prophesy, when you say it's time to serve, they will give you excuses like, I need to pray, I need to fast, I need to do something super spiritual. Those are the answers they will give you. But on the other hand, those who serve without the heart of God, without the Holy Spirit, are only doing it through, it becomes duty and religion. They're doing it just through duty and religion. Amen. And so, getting to, the, to my preach today, serving, ladies and gentlemen, can I just go back to that? Serving to the, to the diagram with um, the next one. Okay, so as I said, that when you serve, it's just duty without the Spirit of God. The next one, serving. When you serve and you are teaching, what you are communicating to people is do as I do, not only as I say. For we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. The teaching that we get these days is all about motivation rather, rather than it's having the substance to, to be life-changing. It's all about exposition. And there is no life transformation in what we get in the teachings that we get. There is nothing that transforms your life. Nothing that makes you victorious as a Christian. It's all head knowledge and nothing that can be lived out. But when you teach and you are serving, you are communicating, do as I do. Paul puts it this way, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is an effective way of teaching. It is not standing up here and telling people what to do. It is being with the people and teaching them what to do. And they follow you. Amen. So what is teaching? Teaching from the Greek word is didasko. It means to instruct. That's what it means. It means to instruct. And the one with the gift of teaching, what they do is they, they are instructing you into, in the word of God. That's what they're doing. They're instructing you in the word of God. Therefore, they're instructing believers in the doctrines of God and the truths of God. So that there is a purpose. They, you, we are unified, we are equipped, and we are built up in the body. So the gift of teaching it has the purpose of unifying us, building us up, and equipping us. And the one with the gift of teaching has this strong desire to understand the word of God so that they, can make, so that they, may, they know him and can make him known. They will simply share the meaning, application, and context of the word of God. 
they have an intense hunger to study the passages in the scripture so that they find out what those passages mean. No new material originates from these people. No new material originates from them. The teacher or the one who is teaching, I'd like you to repeat that. I'd like to repeat that, sorry. The teacher or the one who is teaching, two different people. The teacher, fivefold ministry, the one who is teaching has a gift of teaching. Though you play social football does not mean you're a professional footballer. A professional footballer can play social football. A teacher can teach, but the one teaching is not a teacher. Are we together? So the teacher and the one who is teaching, all they simply do is they expound and explain the Bible text. That's all they do. Just because you have some knowledge of the Bible does not mean that you, you, are, you can become a teacher without the grace of God to do that. Teaching is not about the eloquence that you deliver a message in. It's not about the education that you have. It's not about that. We can take somebody with a PhD to teach the word of God without that grace and they will confuse all of us. We can take somebody without ZJC and with that grace to teach the word of God and we will all understand the word of God. That is why people could sit hours listening to Jesus Christ because he had that gift of teaching. The gift of teaching is simply that. It's a gift. Its ability and its effectiveness is, is not found in the individual, but it's based on that it's spiritual and it's supernatural. Amen. All we have to do is look at the, the, the people like Peter and John who had no formal education, but they knew Jesus Christ. They understood the word of God. Acts 4 verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated men, uh, uneducated common, uh, uh, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Likewise, Peter, I mean, uh, Paul, who had formal, some formal education, does not, he, he recognizes that his role as a teacher is, is a spiritual stewardship, not an, an academic one. In Galatians 1 verse 12, it says the following, For I did not receive it, this teaching, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the one who teaches enables the church to be focused on the truths of God so that the church is not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine or every trend or every new teaching that comes on so that we are established and founded on Jesus Christ, the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, so that we grow in knowledge and wisdom of Christ. 
This gift is not found only on this side of the pulpit. It's sometimes even found on that side of the pulpit. And some people with that gift will be called into eldership or, or uh, uh, to be pastors in the local church as uh, one of the essentials that Paul puts to be an elder is to teach in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But on this side of the church, it's also found in small groups, in Bible studies, in home cells, in open homes. And we invite people to continue to come to open homes, to share lives, to share uh, experiences, to share the word of God, to grow, to continue to grow in the things of God. It's also found in the children's ministry. That's where this gift of teaching is also found. Regardless of your natural ability, those with the gift of teaching are, are expected to... They're expected to, 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 to sharpen this gift through personal study. You're expected to sharpen it through personal study and intimate relationship with the one who gave you this gift. 1 Timothy 4 says the following. Until I come, this is Paul talking to Timothy. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself, on, on, on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hear us. Amen. So as I've already said, knowledge does not make you a teacher. A vast understanding of the word of God does not make you a teacher if you do not have that, that grace upon you. You can, you can have all the knowledge of the Bible and you will bring confusion when you try and explain it. But you, if you have this grace, you will bring so much clarity. One who is a teacher, ladies and gentlemen, well, if, if you don't have this grace, um, five minutes with somebody without this grace trying to explain the Bible is like 10 hours. Five minutes sitting in there, it's like 10 hours. You will be put to sleep. Whereas somebody with this grace, eight hours is like 20 minutes listening to them. It reminds me of a time when I started teaching at King City sharing the word of God. Every time I would get up here, five minutes exactly, there will be a gentleman somewhere there. Let's just say it was Louis for, for illustration's sake. Sitting right there, five minutes on the dot, ah, you'll be in the heavens. He will be watching his eyelids on the other side. Five minutes. And that used to bother me. I'd get up, teach, five minutes is gone. There was a gentleman there and there was a gentleman that side. I thought maybe it's because it's summer. No many people sleep in summer. Then winter came, five minutes, fast asleep. 
And I went, we, we had an elders uh, meeting, Yanku, Vesi, and I, and we were talking about preaching, teaching, how it's going. And I raised that. I was like, ah, I don't think this is working for me. I'm sorry. It's not working for me. Because there's a gentleman who sits there, five minutes is gone. And then another gentleman who sits there, five minutes they're gone. Both of them. It's like they, they're, they're, it's well-timed. Doop, boop, sleeping. All of them. Both of them at the same time. And I can't take that anymore. And uh, Vesi and Yanku just laughed and said, we, it's so and so. They said, we, they actually do it when we are also preaching. <laughs> so that's why James 3 verse 1 says, not many of you should want to become teachers. Okay, not many of you should want to become teachers. Not many of you should want to teach the word of God. Because there are commentators, post-commentators after the service, that you have to, you have, to have that skin. Amen. So not many of you should want to become teachers. The next gift, can, I, can we go back to that diagram? The gift of encouragement. So when the serving gift and the teaching gift intersect, it says, do as I do. When the teaching gift and the encouragement gift intersect, it says, you can do it. But when the teaching gift stands all alone, it says, you do it. Are we together? But when these gifts intersect, teaching and encouragement, it says, you can do it. The word encouragement is a Greek word, parakaleo, where Jesus Christ, in explaining and defining that, uh, the Holy Spirit would come in John 14, verse 16. He uses this word to explain that the Holy Spirit is coming. And in using this word, he is saying that the Holy Spirit is coming to reside inside of you and to live inside of you to help you and comfort you. So an encourager is someone who comes alongside to help and comfort you in a time of need. That's what an encourager does. And so when, when you teach and you are an encourager, you are coming alongside another person and helping them along the way. And encouragement is best defined as this. It is the act of instilling courage in someone through cheering them on and comforting them. You are putting courage in them. And courage. Okay, that's what it means. You are putting courage in them. So an encourager will enable someone to, 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 um, to thrive. They will, they will get the best out of that person. They will bring spiritual maturity in that believer. That's what an encourager will do. An encourager will, will inspire you to the point that you have peace, comfort, and you have help. There is an individual in the New Testament who was an encourager. His name was Joseph. He was such an encourager that they eventually changed his name to Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. And I want us to look at a couple of things um, through this individual. 
Though there's not much about this individual that you find in, in the book of Acts, but just the few things that you find are very helpful to, to define what an encourager is. Because this person, he walked encouragement. He spoke encouragement. He slept, even his sleeping would encourage you. When you are preaching and he's sleeping there and sleeping there, you're encouraged to keep on. He, everything he did was encouraging. The first thing that we learn from Barnabas, and this is not in order as it appears in, in Acts. The first thing we learn is that an encourager will vouch for you. An encourager will vouch for you. In Acts 9, verse 26 and 20, um, I think 26 and 27, uh, it says the following. It talks of, um, of how, how the, the disciples were so afraid of Paul. By that time, his name was called Saul. They were afraid of Saul uh, and, and, um, because he had previously persecuted the church. And uh, he wanted to come into the church, but they, 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 they doubted his conversion and said, no, you stay away from us. And so this individual called Barnabas takes his bags, goes to, to, and risks his own life because it could be a setup. He goes to Saul, brings, takes Saul, brings him to the disciples, and he could have also risked his reputation in that maybe it was a setup. Okay. So Barnabas, where the church was shunning Paul, Barnabas embraced Paul. How many people are you embracing at church? How many outcasts are you embracing at church? Number two, an encourager will walk the distance to you. An encourager will walk the distance to you. In Acts, in Acts 15, can we go to Acts 15, please? No, Acts 11, sorry. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So Barnabas, this time, takes his bags, goes looking for Saul, and finds him and brings him to Antioch. How many, how many people that you have not been seeing in church are you picking your bags, going, knocking at their door, and looking for them? Because for, a true encourager would do that. WhatsApp is great, but it's a lazy man's encouragement. You see, in all those gifts, please can I go back to that, to that diagram? If you read uh, Romans 12, it starts off with something. It says, be a living sacrifice. Wherever there's an intersection, that's where sacrifice is. It's easy to encourage and just send a WhatsApp. But... If I had to encourage and pick my bags and go to Brendan, it is a sacrifice. 
the only, know, the only way you can know the good, acceptable, the pleasing, good, and acceptable will of God is when you start playing in the place of sacrifice. sacrifice. That's where you start knowing what's the acceptable will of God. So WhatsApp is an easy man's of encouragement, easy way of encouraging. But it has no sacrifice in it. Number three, an encourager will go the distance with you. Acts 15. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied, accompanied them in the work. Next. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. There was a disagreement over this young man called John Mark, who had previously deserted the mission and Paul said, if this guy can desert the mission at its critical stage, what else can he do when we're going further? And Barnabas was like, no, we can go with them and I'll walk with them. And Paul said, no, I'm not going with this individual. And Barnabas took him and there was just a sharp disagreement. And one went this way and another went that direction. Okay. He walked with John Mark to the point, 1 Timothy, where Paul writes the following in prison. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Paul at this time sees the usefulness of Mark. And I would assume that the reason why he's seen the usefulness of Mark is because somebody has walked with Mark to the point that Paul now sees that this man is very useful for me. How many losers or failures are you walking with in church? People that have been labeled losers and failures. How many are you walking with? The fourth one. An encourager is a giver. It is, an encourager is a giver. Acts, um, now I've forgotten, Acts 4. Acts 4. It says the following. Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It is very difficult to find one who encourages and does not give. Very difficult. If you give me encouragement, you are motivating me. That's all you are doing. But if you give me encouragement and you are a giver, you're doing something on a, new, on a higher level than just giving me words. Back to that diagram, please. So, as we said, that when you encourage, your encouragement speaks, I have enabled you to do it. 
I am supporting you to do it. But on the other side, he says, you can't do it. There's no support. But this side, he says, I am enabling you to do it. Here's something for you to, to do it. That's what encouragement and giving communicates. It is so wonderful to have words of upliftment, people cheering you on, motivation. It's so wonderful. But when somebody comes and gives into your vision, comes and gives into your purpose, comes and gives into your life, comes and gives into your desires and the things that you're called to, it speaks a whole different level. It says, I believe in you. That's what it says. It says, I believe in you. In all those instances, Barnabas invested in people. An encourager invests in people. That's his motivation. I'm investing in you. I want you to succeed. I want you to, 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 to do well in life. An encourager is, is not oblivious of those who also come, come into their lives and, 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 and use them. Because in life, there are those people who drain your energy and your resources. They, they feed off you always coming, going there, and uh, you thinking, no, they're coming back or they're growing. And you as an encourager, you're like, you're, you're just also feeding on that, that I'm helping someone. In all those instances, Barnabas, the people... He encouraged all were effective for the ministry. He did not waste his time going up and down for someone who would not come back. The greatest thing that God did for us, the greatest encouragement that God did for us, is that he gave his only son, that whoever will believe in him, will be saved, and they will have eternal life. If you're here today and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the greatest encouragement I can give you is that you can accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You do not have to do anything. He did it for you. He did it for you. All you have to do is accept him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says in Romans 10 that if you accept if you, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins and was raised for your righteousness, you will be saved. And at this moment, you may be here. And you may be feeling like, I need to know this Jesus Christ. I will ask the church to help me pray this prayer as they help you pray this prayer. This prayer does not lead you to to eternal life, it does not lead you to Jesus Christ, but your heart, your confession, and your belief are the what leads you to Jesus Christ. So as I pray this prayer, I'll ask you to follow me, and Father God, I come before you, and I know that I'm a sinner, deserving hell, but your word says, those who call unto you will be saved. So at this moment, I believe and I confess
with my heart and my mouth that you were raised, you, you died for my sins and you were raised for my righteousness. In Jesus' name, I thank you that I'm a child of God. Amen. If you say that prayer and you, it's, and, uh, you are not born again, uh, welcome to the kingdom of God. And um, if you'd like to find out more information about uh, what it means to be a child of God, you can go to the Info Hub or you can come and see one of the, 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 the leaders up here. Um, uh, my last point is just uh, as, as we, we close up, is that as a church, how many, you know, the Bible tell, it tells us to be in, uh, a source of encouragement, to be encouragers. And um, uh, can I go to the second last diagram? Many of us in this church, we do know that individual. We started up so well. We started so well and they were so zealous for God and they, they were going for God. But they are at this point, at this very point right now, they are confused. They, they've been hurt. They, um, they're in a place where they have turned church trauma into a God wound, where they have pointed at God rather than seeing that we as infallible people do and will hurt each other sometimes. And so they're at the point where they're like, what's the point of coming to church? They have lived or heard the wrong gospel and believed the wrong things. And in believing the wrong things, they, and God has not come through for them, they're at that point in life. And they're saying, what's the, what's the point of God? Why? And you all know those individuals. I know in church they will, people will never ask you to do this. They will normally ask you to, to switch off your phones or use your phones for just to, to read your Bible. I'll ask you to take out your phones. If there's a name that the Holy Spirit puts in your heart, I'll ask you to, to send a message to that person and say, hey, can we meet for lunch? Can we meet for drinks? this week. Remember, an encourager, there is effort. There's a sacrifice you take. It's easy for you to send an encouraging word that just says God loves you. But make that effort this week to meet someone, to reach out to someone this week and say, hey, can we just meet up or just us black people, we just pitch up at your house. No invitation. We just pitch up. Last, last. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. That's what the Bible talks about, it's, uh, mentions. I hope you have a great week this week. And you have a wonderful week as you reach out to other people and you build them up and encourage them.